the reason why we go high pH on on uh, on soils is the same way we do high pH or low pH for water holding capacity um, in, in products, right? We want to put charges on the soil, and that charges makes it more likely to get up and dissolve into, into water. Um, so uh, your caustics do it as well, too. And the reason why I'm kind of mentioning that is because we can talk through all the effects, but several of the different cleaners will have multiple effects associated with them. So we can dissolve, liquefy, hydrolyze, disperse, or emulsify, um, depending. But that's very technical. Um, usually, and then, and then here's my pitch, uh, whoever you are working with your, with your, for your chemical provider, they should have a pretty good technical background and they should be able to, you know, suggest the products that you need for the soil and the, and the, and the surfaces you want. So, Welcome to MeatsPad, a platform dedicated to sharing breakthrough knowledge that is accessible to the meats industry. These discussions help foster and improve communication and knowledge dissemination within the meat science community. This podcast is brought to you by the U.S. Meat Export Federation, the National Provisioner, Ultrasource, the new standard for innovation, Dry Age Pro makes dry aging in-house flexible, safe, and affordable. Fisco Fan, the casing company. Hello, me folks. Welcome back to the Mitzvah Podcast. This week, we continue these conversations with meat leaders. And today, we have a very good um, professional. He's going to talk about sanitation. Uh, but before we introduce him um, to you, how are you, Dr. Bass, today? Francisco, um... The, the guest we have today is um, is a blast from the past, from my past anyway, not, not necessarily from the listener's past, or maybe it is. Um, but uh, uh, Dr. Jeremy Adler um, and I were in grad school together at Colorado State a few years back. Um, he was, he was on, more on the food safety. I was on the food quality and production side, meat quality and production. And, and, and Jeremy was doing a lot more on the, uh, the, let's, how do we keep it safe? How do we, how do we improve that process? And what was cool about those times and, and for anybody that's in grad school or have, has any grad school background, um, knows that cross collaboration during those times really is super beneficial for us, um, as we're developing, as we're growing, as we're learning. Um, but then also later on, and I'm going to tell you, Jeremy Adler is going to be one of those that many people need to know because of his production experience, his industry experience, but especially his food safety sanitation experience. And so without further ado, of course, Jeremy Adler, tell us a little bit about yourself and about Ecolab, which is the company that you're, you represent. Thanks, Phil. Uh, that's pretty big shoes to fill. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Phil, Phil <yeah. laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, it'll be great. It was, I really enjoyed our, the graduate school that we had together and our cohort has done really well, actually. It's been kind of nice to follow everyone. Um, and luckily there's been several of them and we can reminisce later that's been a lot more successful than both you and I, but uh, we've had a real good cohort. And I did try to jump over. Uh, my advisor was Dr. John Sophos, but I always try to jump over um, on your guys' side of the things and enjoy uh, join you in the plants and help learn how to break carcasses and learn, you know, the implant value that I could bring um, through food safety. So that was a great thing. Currently, I work for Ecolab. My official corporate title would be Senior uh, Research Development Engin Engineering Program Leader, but I'm mainly focused on food safety and how to put a food safety spin in our uh, product innovation pipeline, uh, the new products that we bring to market that they increase food safety. 
And then after that is supplying the technical documentation so these products can be successfully applied in plant, whether we're talking cleaning, cleaners and sanitizers, or even antimicrobials that uh, you can apply directly onto um, food, food tissue. So there, there I am in a nutshell. Yeah, well, and you're, you're being very modest, of course. Um, I mean, the, the, the background that you do bring and the experience, the implant experience that you've had, you've been in, this, in, in a position um, in food safety sanitation for a, a number of years now. Um, and, and for our listeners that are out there, a lot of our, our medium and small processors, but even the big ones that are out listening, um, sometimes we need to be reminded of just the basics. And so for, for those who have been following MeetsPad for um, a number of weeks, months, we've hit on a number of basics. We've hit, we've hit basics of, of meat processing, of slaughterhouse design, of things like that. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that. And so, Jeremy, could you, could you just kind of give the group, the listeners right now, kind of just the basics of when you're putting together a food safety sanitation program, what are some of the things that, that folks need to be considering? Yeah, I mean, a, a great title for this project could be, or for this podcast could be, um, it, nothing's changed, but yet everything's changed, right? In the world of sanitation. <laughs> we still apply a cleaner, we foam it on, we scrub yeah. a little bit, we rinse it off when we start production again. But, you know, there has been some um, um, changes too that we'll probably touch on a little bit. But, you know, to start it all off, uh, the mega reg, which we call the HACCP, uh, the preventative controls, the HACCP um, reg in the mid 90s, kind of stated out and said that plants, you know, you have to put together sanitation standard operating um, programs. You have to have a sanitation program um, in, in your plant. And um, we just kind of go from there, you know, yeah, uh, this is mainly meat. So we have a pretty, you know, we, we're dealing with proteins. If we brine a little bit, we got some minerals, but the, the, ma the major soil is what we call it, that you want to remove from surfaces is, is going to be proteins. And in general, I'm, I'm guessing probably about 95% of the people listening to this podcast are going to apply some sort of caustic of sodium hydroxide, and then they'll chlorinate it to uh, get that oxidative power off um, on it to break up that protein so we can get it off the surfaces and into the drain. But I mean, that's pretty much what we do. We just find soils on surfaces, uh, try to remove them with different chemistries. Uh, those chemistries try to remove it as easily as possible, or, or we can talk in terms of time. We, you know, we need to reduce time to increase production time. That's always a seems to be a big hot topic in most plants is, you know, clean and sanitation time is also uh, time taken away from production. And then also resources too, we're starting to make a big resource play as far as water and energy as well too. So these are all things, factors that you can consider when developing your clean and sanitation program. But ultimately bare bones, right? We got our soil, it's protein. We need to figure out what surfaces we have. Most likely it's stainless steel. Uh, it could be some, you know, plastics as far as belting and uh, like your cutting boards, but, uh, so as long as we know the soil and as long as we know the surface, uh, we can come up with a cleaner that's going to remove that soil from the surface. Yeah, no, and this is this is great. I think we there's a lot a lot of paths that we can go down. But just going back to the basics, could you please tell us um, some of, of the most popular cleaning supplies? Supply, yeah, we call it supplies. Um, so we got chlorine. I mean. You mentioned a few of them, but we can maybe talk about the importance of those and maybe where should we apply it and when? I think that's pretty basic, but I think we can start from there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and usually when I'm talking about um, this kind of stuff, uh, I, I mentioned it before, we figure out what our soil type is. And we have four major soil types. 
Um, the first one that we're probably going to be most interested to this podcast is going to be your proteins. And then you have fats and oils, and then you have carbohydrates and minerals. So those are going to be your four major soil types that we're going to identify um, within your process. And then um, there's several ways to remove them um, from surfaces. The first is you can dissolve them, and that's the easiest. If Say you have some sugar and dissolves it in water, you can get it into the water and you can get it to the drain. So the whole idea is water is basically our vehicle, and we want to get the soils up into the water, and then we want to get that water to the drain as fast and expediently as possible. If not, if we get pooling, then we start talking about, uh, you know, as being contamination source throughout the, la um, throughout the, the plant. But just to take a, you know, just come back to, to the original question, we, we, it's all how can we get into water? So we can either dissolve it in the water. We can also use temperature to liquefy it, uh, such as, uh, you know, fats. We want to use uh, probably about under 140 degrees water, well, not 140 degrees Fahrenheit water. Um, that will help liqu liquefy most of the fat that we have, um, whether we're talking about beef, uh, poultry, or pork fat. Right? With beef having the highest um, temperature uh, for, for melting. And then, um, you know, and then chicken and poultry after that, but about 140 or less. And then there's also a worker safety issue that we have to work in there too. But at about 140 is the, the limit. And that's probably a key number to know because 140 and above, we could start baking on proteins onto, onto surfaces. And then also too, there's a safety consideration because if we are using a chlorinated caustic cleaner, if we're at 140 degrees and above, we, we might start flashing off that chlorine and we could uh, start talking about employer safety, employee, employer and employee safety as far as creating you know, gaseous chlorine in the plant, which is noxious and um, um, potentially fatal. So that 140 and below is usually what we try to stick for temperature when we talk about liquefying and then another thing is we got protein, we can just chop it up into different pieces. And the way we do that chemically is to hydrolyze it. And the, the way we can hydrolyze it is we can go to our pH extremes, right? We can go to a high pH with our alkaline cleaners or we can go to a low pH with our acidic cleaners. And then also enzymes will allow us to hydrolyze that soil. Uh, and then um, of course too, then if we can't get it, we can call it dispersion. And dispersion chemistry is just something to get it off the surface up um, up into the soil, uh, up into the water, and then we just want to carry it to the drain. And when we talk about dispersion chemistry, that's when we really start talking about our hydrogen peroxides, which is, can also be an oxidizer, um, or a peroxy acetic acids as well too, because these penetrate into soils and basically just pop them up off the surface into the water, and then we try to get the water to the drain. And then finally, we always talk about emulsifying. Uh, when we start talking about putting surfactants in with our caustic cleaner, we can emulsify fats. So we can bring those fats uh, up into the water because fats don't like to be water, right? They're, um, they're not water loving, but somehow we got to get them into the water. So we put a chemical that has two charges on it, which is a surfactant. So um, the, the surfactant binds, um, binds the fat particle. And then that um, also the other end of the surfactant allows uh, that fat particle to get suspended into water. Um, so those are three, those are five kind of effects. So we just kind of, again, soil type, what kind of effect we want to use. And then we just pick the chemistry that we want to use based on that. If we dissolve, um, it depends on the soil as well too. You can dissolve minerals by an acid. You can dissolve uh, sugars with a water. If you want to hydrolyze, you can hydrolyze protein with uh, enzymatic cleaner. You can hydrolyze it with your caustic cleaners. Um, 
you can also disperse it, right? It depends on who you talk to from a chemical um, perspective, right? The reason why we go high pH on, on, uh, on soils is the same way we do high pH or low pH for water holding capacity um, in, in products, right? We wanna put charges on the soil and that charges makes it more likely to get up and dissolve into, into water. Um, so uh, your caustics do it as well too. And the reason why I'm kind of mentioning that is because we can talk through all the effects, but several of the different cleaners will have multiple effects associated with them. So we can dissolve, liquefy, hydrolyze, disperse, or emulsify, um, depending. But that's very technical. Um, usually, and then, and then here's my pitch, uh, whoever you are working with your, with your, for your chemical provider, they should have a pretty good technical background and they should be able to, you know, suggest the products that you need for the soil and the, and, the, and the surfaces you want. So this is good information to know, but ultimately you should have some support as well too from your chemical um, supplier that'll really help pinpoint because they know their products the best and they'll help pinpoint um, the soil type and the effect and also the chemistry that you needed for your project as well. So that's kind of a, a rundown of uh, the different kind of cleaning options out there. This, um, Jeremy, this is, a great example of how um, us production guys needed to go back down the hall toward the food safety guys and learn a lot more. Cause I I've been taking copious amounts of notes. This is, this is really, really good information. Um, and you hit it right on the head where, and regardless of the topic, right? Whoever your, your consultation expert is, make sure that you're visiting with them to figure out what is the best approach for the business, okay? In this case, we're talking about cleaning agents and chemical agents that are going to help us dissolve or emulsify or, or disperse or whatever. Um, talk with your representatives to design the right system for you. Now, um, Something that's that also I'd like I'd like you to touch on a little bit because you've talked about about the water part and uh, I'm not going to have anybody raise hands, listeners or otherwise. But uh, how many folks out there have just grabbed the hot water hose and kind of just pushed the meat across the table, across the floor, towards the drain, and then call, let's call it a day, clean enough, right? Right. Um, or, 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 or splash some magic um, solution, whatever that is, put it on the table, rinse it off, and away we go. Yep, yep. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of mechanical action, mechanical disturbing? And I'm talking about scrubbing, right? I'm talking about elbow grease at this point. How important is that? And, and why, if it is important, why is that so important? Yep, uh, exactly. So, the first thing, like on all my talks, the, the one of the first slides you put up is the perfect solution doesn't exist, right? I wish I had a, a cleaner that I could come in and just spray the plant, walk away, rinse it off, and then we were clean and ready to start, right? Um, so it leads nicely into uh, the four, what I usually try to show is the four factors of cleaning. Um, it's going to be chemistry, right? We talked a little bit about chemistry, and then temperature, we talked a little about temperature. Time, uh, time is um, very important too. Do we have enough, you know, a time of exposure to the chemistry for it to work? And then finally, Phil, the fourth one, which you just brought up, because we, we did, although we did not trade notes, <laughs> you were prophetic. <laughs> and you come up with mechanical force, right? Only because I've been in the business for a little yeah, while right. now. <laughs> and those four factors, I always think of it as holistic, right? 
that that's your whole cleaning program right there and they all work together and if one you have to reduce one one of the other three has to make up for it so if you don't have the time to clean what do we need to do we need to increase temperature or we need to e increase chemistry or we need, need to increase the mechanical force right um, we don't have the labor to implement the mechanical force. Well, then something we need to either increase the chemistry concentration and exposure time or even temperature to, the, um, to that problem. So all four of those factors I previously recommended need to work um, together uh, in order to have a, a holistic cleaning program. Specifically for mechanical action, when we, when we talk cleaning in the meat industry in this, this, this in the meat space, we're basically talking um, a manual clean or what we call COP, clean out of place cleaning, right? Um, it's real easy. I, I say it's more simple in dairies because everything's in tubes and you just put the, the cleaner in a big tank and you push it through at the right, um, at the right volume, you get your mechanical action through your vortex flow. And, and that's, you get your, that's clean your in that place. Yeah, that's clean in place. Yep. Correct. Yeah. Um, so what we need to do, uh, since we're talking environmental cleaning and surface cleaning, is uh, mechanical action really it is, is, is highly necessary. It's very time consuming, but it, it's one of the few ways that we can get into the nooks and crannies and we can really address the soils on surfaces without high pressure water, right? That's the other thing we need to touch on. You mentioned water. High pressure water, while it is exact, while it does very good at removing soil from the point of contact, all it does is it just dis disperses it throughout the lab. So the, the current um, thinking is now is we don't recommend high pressure water. If we do, um, most plants that do, um, the most plants that do, do it correctly will have high pressure water um, after the first rinse and then they'll just turn off their pressurized water because if you think about it that that soil just goes to other parts in the in the plant and you you can take soil from a say a cutting board and put it on the ceiling <laughs> you can take more importantly you can take <laughs> soil <laughs> with high pressurized water from a drainer on the floor and put it right onto a food contact yeah. surface so that's why we really don't like high press, pressure water so without that and you've seen it in plants too, right? They use the water broom, right? You don't want to get the squeegee out. Yeah. <laughs> you have this piece of trash yeah. and you just see guys following it across the floor yeah. <laughs> in the production area, just chasing it with water. And, it, and that's just a waste of water as well too. So without that, we need some sort of mechanical action. We need um, scrubs, we need uh, brushes, and those need to be Right, specified for a specific area. We don't, and why, 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 why I'm saying that is because we don't want our brushes for drains and we don't want to go over and clean food contact surfaces with them. We want them dedicated to each of the specific areas. And um, uh, we could lead nicely into a nice discussion about sanitary design uh, that we may or may not get to, but ultimately, what we have to clean is what we have to clean. It might not be optimally designed, but hey, nothing really is ever. So we have to take what's in the plant and we have to clean it. And so with our eyes, um, we, can mechan we, we can use brushes and we can get to the places that are hard to access through cleaning, uh, through the cleaning chemistry. And that's usually some of the ways that we can, we can access the soil from surfaces. And that also might include breaking down of, um, you know, belts, we'll pull belts off, uh, uh, off of 
off of the line and we'll clean those separately or we might have to disassemble a piece of equipment just to make sure that we can get to each part to where they're cleanable and accessible um and those that's just done all manually so talk about mechanical action it's just like you said elbow grease or or usually in the industry we joke it's eg 5000 right elbow grease 5000 <laughs> the product we recommend. i love it <laughs> now um i do I have like a couple of questions, like as a follow up, and and I think the the exposure, the time that you brought up, it's it's super important. Sometimes we don't dedicate the time. We say, hey, just add the the sanitizer and just rinse it off, and we're good to go. But each sanitizer has its own exposure time, so that's that's important. But we can we can also discuss more about the frequency of the sanitation program. I, I had this conversation with uh, folks saying, hey, do we have to sanitize every production lot or on a, after every day of production? I know there's out there some companies that do, I mean, it, that really depends on the validation of their sanitation program. Can you please tell us about how, how often do we have to, or maybe just, um, maybe take it back. The importance of the frequency of the sanitation program. Is it every day? Is it every hour? I think that that can open up a whole conversation about uh, the frequency. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, so depending on your viewpoint, I guess I'll, I'll play my cards here. Um, luckily for the USDA inspected plants, right? We're not talking FDA. USDA inspected plants, it's pretty much daily sanitation. And that, that's what we need to do. Now you can... Um, petition for what they call less than daily sanitation, but you have to petition for that and you have to show data that you're not causing insanitary conditions by cleaning less than daily. And you usually see that in poultry plants that want to extend the use of their water and chiller. Um, but for the most part, right, they're, 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 there's always the oddball, but for the most part, we're talking daily um, cleaning um, in, in meat and USDA inspected plants. So that, that's pretty straightforward and simple. Um, you can go less. Uh, it's all up to you and you know, we could talk, we could have a whole nother um, podcast on environmental monitoring program. But I would have to say probably the reason why you would want to clean during the day would either be you have data, collected um, micro data in your plant that shows that um, the micro counts are getting pretty high and you have data to, you know, we're talking about frequency and validating the frequency of your cleaning program. Um, and you have data to support the fact that maybe you should clean, but I don't usually see that. Usually I see cleaning uh, for an, from an allergen perspective, right? So again, we could have another tangent on allergens. <laughs> There's a million tangents we can go on when we're talking cleaning sanitation. But most of the time um, you get um, daily cleaning when you have a switch over product lines when you're starting to talk about allergens. Again, for the most part, we're talking USDA inspection meat and poultry plants. The only thing where allergens is going to be of an issue is when we talk about specific ingredients put into that product, soy, wheat, um, things along those lines. So not as big of an issue with us on the USDA side of things, but it's still. Um, so increased frequency would be allergens would probably be the main driver right now. Um, and that would, that would be dictated by your allergen uh, control program. Um, or very rarely say you collect enough environmental data that shows that your process just gets too dirty during the day from a micro standpoint and you have to clean. But that being said, most plants will do an intermittent cleaning during breaks 
um, during production breaks, um, during employee breaks, during lunch breaks, where they'll just go through and just grossly remove the soils off the um, off the tables, or they'll just uh, you know apply some sanitizer um, during breaks just to kind of knock down the um, the bacteria as well too. Well, and, and you bring up a, a, a really good point about we, we do have processors that are using a variety of different ingredients and maybe maybe they are one of the um, one of the listed major allergens, the soy, like you've, you've mentioned, wheat, um, uh, milk <clears throat> proteins are yeah. often going to be one that we need to, to think about. And and for the listeners out there, I mean, if you are in, using these different ingredients, um, we, we go to the extent of nitrates and nitrites and and just think of the product flow. And if you have stuff that is going to incorporate additional ingredients that <clears throat> either need to be specifically labeled or of concern for health, uh, health issues, then, then you do those later in the day. If you have the lower um, amount ingredient products, do those earlier in the day. And just consider that as you're going through so that you don't, you don't have that crossover and maybe the necessity to have that additional cleaning in interventions in between. So no, that, that, that's very valid. And process order is a different, is definitely yeah. a way of controlling allergens. And, and super simple, right? As, as long as you can uh, plan the day well enough, you know, super simple. Ultimately, what I'm hearing is we got to find balance for the right program um, for, for cleaning and sanitation and find a balance in, in the chemistry the temperature, the time, and the mechanical um, uh, um, action that is going to be necessary for 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 cl properly cleaning um, the room, the meat blocks, the um, the, the the conveyors, etc. Um, added added chemical is going to increase cost. I mean, we just have to we have to keep that in mind. And anything that goes onto the table has to go down the drain to be processed later. Temperature is added cost in. In, uh, in, in energy and, and something that's a, a, a big, it's, it's a big thought in a lot of people's minds is how can we conserve energy for these processing plants so that they're sustainable, we're environmentally friendly, et cetera. Um, maybe it is more of that dwell time with the chemical action on there, but of course we don't want it to necessarily dry unless you do have some product that you want to dry on yeah. on the table i can't imagine you do but maybe i mean you're the research yeah. you're the senior researcher out there and so maybe you maybe you have something cool out there that we don't know about a powder a magic yeah, powder there you go we can sprinkle on um and and so and and, and let's not forget the eg 5000 as you just mentioned the elbow grease yep um labor is expensive but it's extremely effective and so we just gotta find that balance Right. No. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's balanced. And it's always in a way it's difficult to come on and do podcasts like this because you have to talk at such a high level. Yeah, because each plant, each process, each product, it, it, they're all different. And so it's very difficult to give specifics uh, for a specific process when you're talking to uh, like to large audiences such as this. But that, I think balance is the key word there, right? Let's identify your process. Let's see, and, you know, part of that is figure out what your limitations are. What are your limitations as a processor? Is it time? Is it temperature? Or does your boiler not handle enough water be, um, to get a full cleaning shift out? Um, you know, is it employees? Is it the, the design of the plant? Is it design of your equipment, right? Let's figure out your limitations because as soon as we identify our limitations, right, we can develop procedures um, 
to make them, you know, we can develop procedures to address them and then ultimately give you a clean plant. And, that, and that's what we're go going for, right? There's been too many of these plants um, that have been built, I don't know, 40s, 50s, 60s, and they add on and they add on and they add on. And each one of them is unique and each one of them has their own challenges. But fortunately right now, um, we can develop procedures to address all of them and then limit um, the food safety issues that they might provide based on those those issues defined. Um, so this is this is awesome. I think going back to, to Dr. Bass' first question on the basics sanitation, and then as you said, there's a lot of tangents that we can go, but I think uh, that just opens up the the room for more conversations down the road. And I'm sure how how's how's COVID changed the way you do the sanitation in the meat industry, and we can think about. Uh, in the beginning, we didn't know COVID was transmitted through meat. Um, so there's a bunch of research going on right now to to learn more, understand more about um, this virus. So could you please elaborate more on that? Um, your role uh, at Colab as a as a company to to tackle these issues that we saw last year. All right, very interesting time. Uh, specifically, I don't, like I said, I don't, I'm not going to go into Ecolab much, um, but you, I'll kind of intertwine it. But it, it, it opened up some challenges, and I think that the industry recovered nicely or, or addressed them nicely, right? We had the OSHA guidance come out for meat and pol poultry of processors, and then we implemented those nicely. But the biggest overarching thing that I think that was new, that kind of um, touched you know that was brought brought forth was this idea of disinfecting plants right because we start talking about before we're, we're always worried about the uh, the bacteria right the e coli 0157h7s or the stecks or the salmonellas or the campylobacters or the listeria but now we had this new this virus come, come on board and, and at the time we didn't know if it if if or if it was a foodborne pathogen right luckily now uh, the data supports that it isn't but yeah, I still think we developed some procedures as far as disinfecting the plant process itself, right, in the processing room, and also the auxiliary areas. Um, and we talked about disinfecting. When we disinfect, um, we're able to use a higher concentration of chemistries. We were able to use different chemistries, um, and we're able to leave, leave, leave them on for a longer period of time, so we get greater reductions, um, both from a viral standpoint, but what that also does too is gives us a bigger uh, reductions from a bacterial standpoint. Um, if you think about it, go back to sanitizers, we're, we're very limited in our sanitizer choice, just because of how they are regulated and how they are applied um, in the United States, right? They have their single use, you apply them to the surface and they go right to the drain. So we need something that's very cost-effective, um, that's um, cost-effective, that can have indirect food contact um, uh, approval, right? And then, uh, so with those two, they need to be safe if they indirect, so they need to be safe to consume if they indirectly come on part of the, um, uh, on the food, or if they come into food, it's not injurious to human health is probably the best way to say that. And then you just use them at high volumes and they go straight down the drain. So that's why you see the chlorines, um, the PAAs and the quats used, right? And you don't, there really hasn't been from a, a food contact sanitizer standpoint, there really hasn't been much innovation um, just for what I just said. Um, high volume, cheap, and then relatively safe, um, no human health issues if, if inadvertently consumed. But 
so that's really been our focus. But now with this disinfection, we're starting to see different options come out there where we can just apply them um, to plants. And the, why the reason why those are safe to apply is because we apply them and we just rinse them from the surfaces and it doesn't become a food safety issue. And what we really saw, and the data is out there and you can't contribute it to anything else, but I, you know, wearing my clean and sanitation hat, I'd like to think that we had something to do with it. But relatively last year, the foodborne outbreaks reported by the USDA were the, were the fewest that we've had um, in the past, I think since 2006, 2004. Um, and I'd like to think just because we're getting cleaner plants because we're starting to in introduce disinfection steps in process and we're also you know looking at our lunch rooms we're also looking at our locker rooms we're also looking at our you know office spaces too let's let's go ahead and disinfect those as well right so we're limiting cross-contamination uh, sources if we have persistent bacteria in the plant we're addressing them with disinfectants and we're just helping just make plants cleaner so really that's why that, that's where i've seen the whole industry go in the last 12 to 18 months is i think we're really getting cleaner um, I don't want to say COVID was a good thing, but from a clean and sanitation point, I think we're really focusing on cleaning. Um, and the reason why we have to is because we have a viral pathogen, right? And this is a different kind of pathogen that's a little bit harder to kill than bacteria. So we had to ramp up our cleaning sanitation programs to include disinfection steps. And I think it's really showing off from a micro standpoint as well, too, for everything I've seen. Well, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I, at the beginning of, uh, 2020 when when the world kind of started to come to a grinding halt <clears throat> all we heard was pretty negative news out there and there's no question that covid has been a, a devastating event worldwide but we also have to look at some of the positives that may come out of this if there are any and that is we're that much more aware of general hygiene and cleanliness and sanitation. Right. And now we're looking at the meat plants beyond just the processing area, even more so than, than maybe we were in the past, which is, which is definitely going to be a good thing. So um, this, this is great. This is, this has been fascinating. Um, again, I have copious amounts of notes more than I've, I've taken <laughs> in a very long uh, time. And um, uh and, I, and I'm, I'm excited to continue to share this information with others out there and, and continue this conversation at another time. Um, for those out there listening, talk to your sanitation consultant, be Agreed. that your, you know, your, your, your chemical provider. If you have a food safety representative there in the plant, let's, let's, let's get these folks, these unsung heroes in many cases, um, where it's not necessarily always the most glorified job, most glamorous job, but it is an absolutely necessary job. Talk about these steps, because if the food isn't safe and the environment isn't safe for the workers, then none of the production that you do have matters. Just one last recommendation for uh, our, our audience, um, small processors that may be wanting to just know more about sanitation, maybe some resources that you can provide or, or some, some leads uh, for them. Um, yeah, you bet. Uh, <clears throat> I think RMC has um, a lot of good stuff uh, available too online. If you go online, uh, NAMI, the North American Meat um, Institute, I know I'm part of there. They have every twice a year, they have their advanced control of Listeria monocytogenes workshop and cleaning and sanitation it is one module on it. Um, a lot of the industry trade groups uh, have, have 
really good information when it comes to cleaning and sanitation and recommendations. The next thing too, just to, just to parrot what Phil said, um, whoever you're buying your chemicals from knows their, should know their chemicals intimately and come up with recommendations and give you best practices on how to, um, um, how to apply them. Not now, they probably won't go as far as verifying your clean and sanitation program, but they should be able to provide you documentation to show theoretically it could work, which is the first process of validation. And then they can uh, um, kind of guide you when you collect your data implant um, to show that it's actually working, which is the second part of um, validation. And then uh, there's also the verification activities that are, that are a part of that. Um, you should be working closely with, you, with a clean and sanitation partner because they should be able to help you out along. And then they should help you troubleshoot too, right? Um, do root cause analysis of any issues that you have in your plant as well too. Um, different chemical, they'll, they'll have ideas about what their diff different chemical options are and, and why, um, why, why they're suggesting them because they're gonna have, I didn't go, even go into the different um, ways we can build cleaners, but there's different builders you can put in depending on your, uh, your water quality, um, the soil or what have you. And that's why they're coming up with the choice. So work closely with them. Um, they know their product and they should be able to help you out. And you have to remember too, that they're in several plants themselves. So they, they I wouldn't say their knowledge is worldly, but they do have um, other, um, other experience they can bring to the table that, that you would find help, helpful. Oh, nice. Uh, thank you. Thank you again for being here today. I'm sure um, our um, audience they have uh, any questions, we'll just send them to, to our email, info at meetspot.com. And if, if we got some questions for you, we'll, we'll make sure you, um, you can address them um, maybe uh, down the road. And anything you want to add, Dr. Bass? No, it's just been a pleasure. Um, this is, this is a, uh, an interview that I think it was absolutely necessary, um, long overdue, possibly. Um, we've put a lot of thought Yes. more into the production and quality side, which, you know, which is fun and, and it's great um, and necessary. Um, but uh, I really hope that folks were able to uh, glean an awful lot of information as I have from this interview. So thank you so much, Dr. Jeremy Adler. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Like I said, it's tough to get this whole, well, I think we've probably been doing this about 30 minutes now talking. It's tough to get it's tough to get the whole picture in 30 minutes, but hopefully there's some ideas out there that I presented that make you think and then makes you, you know, ask more questions about your process. And that's what we're really trying to do. Um, because the more questions you ask, the more intimate you get with your process and hopefully the cleaner you get. But no, I appreciate spending the time with you too. And um, if there's other topics in the future, more than happy to contribute as well. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you. That we end this episode. Thank you a lot for listening. If you'd like to receive notifications on the new releases and the new episodes, please subscribe at www.meetspath.com. If you're a small and mid-sized meat processor and you have concerns or questions about a certain topic related to, to meat science and meat processing, please email us at info at Thank you, and I'll see you the next time.